word that I speak and the word that you receive be in accordance with the will and purposes of God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Our children are now mid-teens, and some time ago I realized that the tables had turned with regard to parenting, or at least certain aspects of it. There was a time when they would come home from school and say to me, Dad, could you give me a hand with my homework? And I'd say, no problem, sure in the knowledge that I would actually be of some use. Sadly, those days are now past, and if they should ever utter words that resemble that, my heart sinks as I gaze at maths equations that I have absolutely no idea of interpreting. And it's not only academic stuff um, where really the tables have turned. It is, of course, also in other areas of life, such as technology, I think we reached the absolute lowest point recently when my wife and I were watching or attempting to watch television when we realized that we didn't actually know how to turn it on (laughs) without the assistance of our 15-year-old. I did actually take some comfort when I was reflecting on this afterwards um, from a historic memory of my father having exactly the same problem about 30 years ago and indeed uh, coming to me for advice as to how to operate the then newfangled video recorder, or was it cassette player? So perhaps it's always been thus. Anyway, increasingly it feels to me that much that is hidden to me in life is actually revealed to them. I think in truth this started a long time ago, because I've got a historic memory of our son when he was about, I suppose, two and a half, frantically calling out to me, Dad, Dad, come, come. And I wondered what on earth had happened, what drastic thing had occurred. Well, he was simply wanting to draw my attention to a cloud formation in the sky. Look, look, the colors, the formation had amazed him. And then I remember when our children were young, in the garden also, those frantic, urgent words, come, come, look. What was it? Was it an unexploded World War II bomb? After all, we were living in Coventry at the time. It was, in fact, an ant. (laughs) They were two. They were three. Ants were amazing. A child's favorite word is look. And what a child sees as significant may well be closer to the heart of God than what an adult is preoccupied with. And if we think along those lines, then perhaps such reflections can offer a way into Jesus' rather startling words in Matthew 11, verse 25. Just remind you that Jesus said, I thank you, Father, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. But there was also a particular context into which Jesus was speaking. 
Because the Jewish tradition, of course, which Jesus was very much a part, stretching back over the centuries, had affirmed what you might call the wisdom of the wise. The wise being those who devoted themselves to the study of the Jewish law in all its detail. We have, of course, um, large chunks of Jewish law in our Old Testament scriptures, but there was an awful lot outside what we now know as our scriptures that came under the umbrella of the Jewish law. You could spend a lifetime studying the minutiae of the law. So, effectively, you needed to be a religious scholar trained in languages and literature to have detailed knowledge, not only of the law, but also, and here's the real point, by extension, of God himself. And you would pass on that knowledge of God to those willing to listen to you, to those willing to be taught by you, sit at your feet. It is this understanding of wisdom, this pathway to God, that Jesus effectively blows up in a single sentence. He detonates when he speaks of God having hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and revealed them to infants. And of course, you may be remembering now that it was the religious leaders and teachers of his day that Jesus came into the greatest conflict with. The fundamental reasons for that was that Jesus had a very different vision of God and of what God requires of us than they did. And also that he claimed a unique authority for this vision of God, an authority which flowed from the intimacy of a son's relationship with his father. Matthew eleven twenty seven. All these things have been handed over to me by my father, and no one knows the son except the father, and no one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. That was Jesus' authority, his intimate relationship with the Father. Jesus is, of course, our ultimate window into God. And what a beautiful window it is. The window through which we see refracted the qualities at the heart of God that shone through Jesus' life and ministry. The love, the compassion, the healing, the forgiveness, the wisdom. It was those qualities refracted in the life of Jesus that drew the crowds, of course. The crowds were made up of people who were certainly not religious scholars, who were probably mainly illiterate. In some ways, you could say simple but who were very wise in the most important ways possible, namely that they knew their need of God. And they also knew that Jesus was the real deal. And there's a direct link there between those people who came, who wanted to come into Jesus' presence, and those who are making their statement of faith and commitment today. In your various ways, you know and acknowledge your need of God, the need for God in your life. And you also have come to recognize and acknowledge 
that Jesus is the real deal. Because in Jesus' day, just as today, there were many, many competing authorities. There were many, many people who claimed all sorts of things for themselves in terms of being prophets or indeed messiahs, people who had a hotline to God. Judea, at the time of Jesus, was rife with them. And similarly, of course, in our culture, there are multiple, multiple claims on truth. Not only competing religious claims, but also the claims, if you like, of secularism. Those crowds that came, particularly those who became his inner circle, those who became followers, disciples, knew that Jesus spoke and acted with a unique authority and power. People are often put off making a step of faith and commitment, such as, as baptism or confirmation, by a fear that they do not know enough about the Bible or the Christian faith. And of course, a foundational understanding is essential. But you don't need head knowledge to know your need of God. And you don't need special credentials to accept Jesus' invitation. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Jesus didn't say, go on a course first and then come to me. He didn't say, jump through all sorts of hoops and then come to me. Peter and the first disciples didn't have to go on a course to acquaint themselves with the Jewish law. They were offered the invitation and they responded. The Holy Spirit has been whispering in your ear, as it were. Some cases, perhaps for years. In others, maybe just for months or even weeks. Whispering, come to me. Committing yourself to Christianity is ultimately about committing yourself to continuing to come into the presence of Jesus. As you pray, as you worship, as you come and receive and partake in the meal that Christ ordained. As you bring your cares and burdens to the one alone who is the source of rest and healing. Committing yourself to Christianity is about acknowledging the unique authority of Jesus. That he is the path of discovery which leads to the heart of God. He and he alone that he is, as you candidates will declare later, the way, the truth, and the life. First Christians, as many of you will know, were not known as Christians. They were known as followers of the way. And that is exactly what you are signing up to, intentionally committing yourself to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, to become a disciple the demands of discipleship, the challenges, the sacrifices should never be undersold, undersold. But the wonderful truth, and this is one of the paradoxes of Christianity, but the wonderful truth experienced by so many who follow Christ is actually found in Jesus' promise. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So the paradox is that in some senses, Christianity makes life a whole lot more difficult, as I'm sure many of us will have experienced, a lot more challenging. Things that you didn't have to give a second thought to before, you have to give an awful lot of thought to now. Choices you need to make now you would never have made before. And of course, not only in this country, but especially in other contexts in our world, the sacrifices and demands of discipleship are greater than any of us can imagine. And yet, and yet the paradox is that for so many people, despite all this, actually being a disciple, actually following Christ, leads to a freedom, a liberation, a joy, a spring in the step that is exactly what Jesus was talking about when he spoke of his yoke being easy and his burden light. In other words, to walk in the steps of Jesus means that as we journey as disciples, we can never be stretched beyond Jesus' ability to resource us. And this is the paradox. This is the wonderful truth. As long as we understand his invitation, come to me, not as a uh, for-one-day-only special offer, but as a constant invitation to renewal and refreshment. So if our walk with Christ is a, is a daily walk of discipleship, a daily walk of, of prayer, a daily walk of seeking to do what Jesus would do in the decisions we make and the choices we make, we will find ourselves strengthened for everything that is asked of us and never stretched beyond Jesus' ability to resource us. And so that is my prayer for you, that you will know the joy, the freedom, and the fulfillment of a life in Christ, and that you will walk with a spring in your step as you seek to follow in his footsteps. Amen.